Moses said to the Lord, See, you said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, uh, while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I told you that you could have everything you ever wanted, you could have all of your favorite restaurants, all of your friends, the family members that you care the most about, the, the, the significant other that you've longed for for many years, all the toys you've ever wanted. But you couldn't have God. Would you take that deal? That is the question being posed to Moses today. As he's up on the as he comes down from the mountain and he engages with God, the people have been rebellious. And God says, you can have everything. You, I will keep all of my promises, but I'm not going with you. That's the situation that we're picked up on today. Friends, when you think about heaven and all the things that are involved in heaven, you might have a lot of things that come to mind. But is God one of them? Do you think about what it's like or what it will be like to be in his presence, to be near to him? Because if God is not there, that place that you were thinking about, no matter how glorious it may seem in your own head, is more like hell than it is like heaven. Friends, today I want to talk to you about what it means to experience the presence of God, to be near to Him, to enjoy His presence, to speak with Him face to face. We're in the middle of a series called Worship Reorientation, and with this series we're talking about what it means to worship God. And the essence of what it means to worship God is this, that our worship is a response to His revelation, that God reveals Himself 
And we respond by worshiping Him in the appropriate ways. We give Him all the praise that He deserves. That's why we always start our worship gatherings, not by just trying to hype ourselves up, but with a call to worship. We're being reminded of God's Word. And His Word is, I am faithful, I am good, I am with you. And as we're reminded of who He is, that our worship begins with God as He has revealed Himself to us, we respond and worship. Worship flows from an experience of the presence of God. I, one of my heroes, I don't know if you, you know this uh, about me, because I quote Tim Keller a lot, who is one of my heroes, and I quote C.S. Lewis a lot, who is one of my heroes, but one of my, my dearest heroes is Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician, he was a doctor, he was a famous pastor in like the 20s to the 60s uh, in England, he's a Welsh man, and uh, like I love this guy so much, I was at a conference one time, and um, was walking around the exhibit hall, and they had a booth set up for this guy that had done a biography of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, had made a video about it. And I started talking to him, and I realized that I'm speaking with the guy who made the documentary. And then as I'm talking to him, I just start weeping because of how much Martin Lloyd-Jones has encouraged my, my personal spiritual life. It's just meant a ton to me. So if you get a chance to read any of his stuff, actually, his sermons are online. You can listen to them um, because it wasn't that long ago. Um, it seems like, like that seems long enough ago where you wouldn't be able to listen to it, but it actually, you can. It, he rec- they recorded it. But listen to this quote that he says in the 60s, but I think that it reigns true for us today in the 20s of the next century. Our essential trouble is that we are content with a very superficial and preliminary knowledge of God, His being and His cause. And content with that, we spend our lives in busy activism instead of pausing to realize the possibilities. Instead of realizing our own failure and realizing that we are not attracting anybody to Christ and that they probably see nothing in us that makes them desire to come to Him. So although we spend our lives in busy activism, and I think that's very descriptive of our day and age, people all want to make a difference. You know, every new product that gets developed says we're changing the world in this way or that way. But yet no one sees reason to come to Christ, not because we're not busy enough doing things, but because we haven't enjoyed his presence enough, because we haven't been close enough to him. Friends, if you do not regularly experience the presence of God, you will lack all motivation for the Christian life. Because the presence of God, being near to Him, having that sense of His nearness, is what motivates our discipleship. It's what motivates our evangelism. You're not going to want to tell anyone about Jesus unless you yourself have experienced the power of His presence. It's what motivates our activism, our ministries of mercy. Friends, this is where the motivation for the presence of God comes from. The the motivation for the Christian life comes from experiencing the gospel. If you do not experience his presence, the Christian life quickly goes from gospel people to religious people. We just do the right things because we know that they're the right things. And friends, there is a place for you to just do what God tells you to do. But at the same time, I want you to enjoy 
the full joy and pleasure and glory of being in God's presence and being near to Him. Our vision is to see everyone everywhere experience the gospel. We want to see everyone everywhere experience the gospel. So church, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you experienced the presence of God? Do you long for that? Do you know what it feels like? Do you know what his nearness is? And I'm not saying that it has to be this magnificent thing that knocks you on your knees, but just that still, small voice of God, the comfort of the Lord that can bring you to tears or just bring some joy to a melancholy heart. When was the last time you truly sought that out? In this passage that we were reading a few moments ago, what we see is Moses pleading with God to experience his presence. He's pleading with God. And we know that experiencing the presence of God is the difference between knowing things about God and knowing God himself. And so that, with that being said, I have two simple points for today. One, what is the presence of God? And two, how do we experience it? And this is what all of our worship hinges on. If you don't get this, you don't get worship. So none of the worship series makes any sense if you don't get this. This might be the most important of all of them, of all the sermons on this. So what is the presence of God? Well, let me catch you up to where we have been uh, going through uh, in the book of Exodus up until this point. Because today we're just randomly hopping into a passage on Moses in the book of Exodus. Some of us might not be familiar with exactly what's happening in Exodus 33. So let me give you a little bit of a recap, and many of us will, will kind of know exactly where we are uh, once I do that. So what happened here is Moses had just led the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He led them out of slavery, and in the process, he parted the Red Sea, they walked through on dry ground, they were provided for in the desert in miraculous ways through manna from heaven, bread coming down from heaven, and through quail being shown, just showing up for them to eat. They've been cared for in magnificent ways. And um, as they're in the wilderness, they go to receive the commandments from God. And when they get to, they go to the Mount Sinai, Moses climbs up the Mount Sinai, he meets with God to receive the Ten Commandments. He comes down Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments, and what are the people of God doing? Worshiping idols. They've created a statue of a calf, and they're worshiping it. They're, they're worshiping a false god. And so Moses immediately breaks the commandments on the, the calf. He, he kind of loses his mind a little bit. He, he tells them to repent, that to, to worship the one true God. Can you imagine that? The one true God has just led you through the, the, the parting of the Red Sea, and he's been leading you as a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Like you can see his presence. It's right there. And then he's been on this mountain. The presence of God, the pillar of smoke has rested on a mountain. You're in the camp down below. And you say, give us an idol. 
Like, you can see the presence of God. Your leader just went up into the presence of God. You can see this powerful being that has delivered you from slavery, and you say, give me something else to worship. That's what happened in Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, you brought, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's so deceitful and so wicked. Not only are they worshipping the idol, but they're giving the idol the worship that the one true God deserves. They're saying, this is what got you out of Egypt, not the God that you can actually turn and see on that mountain that's speaking with Moses right now. These people had seen an amazing things from God, yet they still worship the idols. Why is that? It's because our heart is always longing for something to worship. Our hearts are like idol factories. We'll find something to worship if we are not worshiping the one true God. And so what does God do after they've worshiped these false idols? In Exodus 33, the Lord says to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have, who, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I'll give it. So he's saying, God's saying, you still get to go to the land. Even though you've rebelled, you still get to go to the land. You still get to have this nation. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So he's saying, you get the land, and I'll do it for you. I'm going to give you military success. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be a good land. It's a sweet land. It's a nice land. They, you're going to have material wealth when you get there. It's a land that will provide for you. But I will not go with you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are stiff-necked people. So he's basically saying, I'm going to give you everything I promised. I'm going to be faithful to my end of the deal, but, but you don't get me. Do you see that? Do you see that, that agreement that he made? He said, I'm going to give you all the gifts in the world. I'm going to give you wealth, the milk and honey. I'm going to give you military success. I'm sending my angel before you to drive out all the other people. I'm even giving you a safe and secure home. I'm giving you this promised land. But you don't get me. This is all one could wish for in life. This is health, wealth, prosperity, friends, family, but no presence of God. And notice how Moses responds. What does he say? And what does the rest of them say? The verse right after what I just read, when the people heard this disastrous, disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on ornaments. Disastrous word. God, if you do not go with us, that is disastrous. It's not worth it. We, we don't care about all of the wealth and the, the milk and the honey and everything that comes with it. If you don't come, the gift means nothing. 
Is that how you would respond? Is that what your heart longs for? Again, if I said you could have everything you've ever wanted, health, wealth, prosperity, but God was not a part of it, would you take it? The world teaches us that comfort, health, wealth, these things, the world teaches us that these are our ultimate goals. You're being discipled in that by even just turning on the TV, watching a show, watching a commercial, seeing how people find joy in their everyday life. You're being discipled into a vision of the world that says the good life is the accumulation of possessions and experiences. But they know here in this passage, and we know as God's people, we know this, that it's not worth it in the end if we don't get God. And so that's what Moses says. Moses says, verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's pleading with God. He's putting his foot down. He's saying, no, I will not go anywhere until you tell me your presence is coming with me. Have you had that conversation with God lately? If your presence will not go with me, I do not want to go. When the Bible translates the word presence in the Old Testament, it's almost always literally the word face. So it's like Moses saying, if your face does not go with me, I don't want to go. And then he actually pleads again. He doesn't just say, if your presence will not go with me. He says, God, show me your glory. And then God responds to Moses by saying, I will make my goodness pass before you. So here we see three different words being used fairly interchangeably here. We see the face of God, the the presence of God. We see the glory of God and the the goodness of God, all being used interchangeably. And I think that this might be one of the problems with our desire for God and to be in His presence, is that we don't think that His presence would be all that enjoyable to be in. I mean, when you think about God, what comes to mind? Especially when you think about things like the glory of God. What what comes to mind? For many of us, what comes to mind is a judgmental, grumpy grandpa. Someone to judge you, to make you feel less. But here, the Bible does not describe the presence of God as a thundering, grumpy, self-righteous judge. It describes the presence of God as his goodness. And then when it describes his goodness in chapter 34, as God does come before him. Verse 6, it describes him like this. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. It's a God who is just, but a God who is gracious and kind and compassionate and loving and steadfast, steadfast, faithful. Allow this to be your view of God and seek his presence. 
Friends, the greatest gift that God can give you is not your ideal life. But the greatest gift that God can give you is His real presence, the real God, in your real life. In the life that you have. No one has the ideal life. And if you had the ideal life, you would not be pleased with it. The greatest gift that God can give you is His presence in your real life. So when we experience the presence of God, it's not that He's actually moved anywhere. (laughs) When we experience the presence of God, He's omnipresent, so He's around already. But it's a sense of His nearness that we get to enjoy. I love the way that John Piper puts this, and I think it's helpful for us as we think about what is the presence of God. It says, our experience of the presence of God means that we taste or feel or realize the reality of God more directly, more, authentic, more authentically, more intimately, more effectively. That is producing more effects in our lives, more certainly, more satisfyingly. This is a very John Piper quote, if you know him. Or more terrifyingly, and so on. So, with that being said, how do we get the presence of God? How do we get it? First, we forsake our idols. That's the first thing we see in this passage. They're worshiping an idol, and you never see a real uh, uh, movement of the Holy Spirit, a real uh, renewal of the, of the presence of God, without first seeing the, the forsaking of idols. We have to worship only God. So we have to recognize the things that steal our worship from God. We confess them and we repent from them. That's how we experience the presence of God. And you cannot experience the presence of God apart from that first. And the second way that we experience the presence of God is through prayer. As you see that way that Moses pleads with God, he begs God. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up. He says, show me your glory. Friends, do you seek God in this kind of prayer? Does your spiritual life feel dry? Does your Bible reading feel dry? Here's what a lot of us do. We do what I do when I'm, when I'm running and I get tired of running. You know, if I, if I have a plan that I'm doing as a, as a runner, and then it's like, man, I just can't. This is like a lot. I'm kind of, it's dry. I'm tired of it. I think I'm going to take a break for a little bit. Do you take breaks in your spiritual life in that way? Because what this would say is that the right answer is not take a break. The right answer is to plead, to beg. God, show up as I open my Bible today. I don't want to read this word if your presence is not with me. I do not want to say these prayers. I do not want to walk into this church. I don't want to log onto my computer if your presence doesn't show up. So I'm pleading with you, God, show up. Be in my life. I need you, God. That's the type of pleading that we need to be doing. Seek the Lord every day, morning and evening. Find times to seek Him. Join us for our weekly prayer on on Thursdays. We've been doing it at noon and at at 7 p.m. Seek God. Seek His presence. And lastly, but most importantly, 
How do you get the presence of God in your life? As you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because while Moses caught a glimpse of the glory of God, he did not get it all. God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock because he knew that if Moses came into his presence that he would die. Kind of like coming into the presence of the sun. It's so glorious that you would just die. And so even though God only showed him his back, not his face, but his back, it's kind of a pun in Hebrew, um, God only showed him his back, Moses still came down from the mountain and his face was radiant. He experienced just a taste of God's glory. And his face was glowing to the point to where the people of Israel were scared and they asked him to wear a veil over his face because they were freaking him out. He was freaking them out. And though Moses experienced this in part, we get a full picture of who God is through Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible, verse 27, it says, To them God chose to make known, to them meaning us Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I don't want you to miss this. What Moses is pleading for Christian lives in you. It's Christ in you, our hope of glory. Moses only got to see the back of God's glory, but we get the rich, the riches of the mystery of the glory of God. But if Moses would have died coming into the presence of God, what makes us so special? Why don't we die in that situation? Why aren't we consumed? We now get to go into the presence of God without being consumed because Jesus was consumed for us. On the cross, Jesus took on our sin and walked into the presence of God. And on that moment, his father turned his back away. And there's no worse punishment that a father can offer a son than to turn his back. You see, Jesus was cast out of the presence of God so that we might enter into the presence of God, so that God might be with us. Jesus took on our sin, and through faith, we take on his righteousness so that we are warmly welcomed back in to the presence of God. Isn't that good news? That we take on His righteousness because of what He has done, but yet He took on our sin. And so, as we're welcomed into the presence of God through the work of Jesus, we get to experience it. And yes, it's still only in part in this life. But we long for heaven. We long for the new creation. We long for the day when happiness will not end, where the un where the, the sad things simply come untrue. We long for the day when he returns in full. And friends, we just don't spend enough time thinking about heaven. But it'll be a glorious time because God will be there. So friends, let's, let's do this. Let's worship him. Let's worship him today and every day with our whole hearts. Let's enjoy his presence. 
Let's long for his touch. Let's speak to him face to face. Each week we uh, participate in a meal. We participate in a small meal where we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. And with this, we're reminded that Jesus' body had to be crushed and his blood had to be spilled so that we might get the presence of God in our lives. And as we receive this meal, we're being reminded that God is present with us in a special kind of way through what Jesus has done for us. So if you're a believer with us today, I encourage you to receive this meal. And if you're not a believer with us, I encourage you to receive the the presence of God, to receive Jesus and take this meal with us next week. If you're online, you can do this meal if you, if you desire. We just ask that you turn on your camera so that at least some of us can see each other face-to-face as we participate in the meal. Um, we're going to stand, if you're local, and uh, respond to God through, through worship and, and the communion meal. So let's, let's stand and pray. Father, right now, as we receive this sacred meal, we ask that we'll be reminded of your presence, that we'll be, be allowed to draw near to you, that our hearts will be encouraged, and that our, our spirits will be lifted. Father, thank you, for, uh, thank you for, for, for coming, for sending your Son, so that we might have life in you, so that we might view you with unveiled faces, <laughs> beholding the glory of the Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.